So a lot of you, uh, you had to be at work, you weren't there uh, from Monday to Friday, and that's, that's, a, that's a shame. I wish that uh, we could have 400 volunteers to go with our 100 kids, because Vacation Bible School, it's, it's not meant for just children. Uh, it's for all ages. Uh, adults are hearing stories that they haven't heard in long time. There are things that occur through these Bible messages that we might pick up for the first time. We might have heard something 10, 15 times over. We pick it up again. And I thought, it's such a disservice to come Friday. We take the decorations down, and we, we box up things, and we, we take the leftover wafer cookies and serve them a snack the following weekend uh, without giving you the opportunity to, to sit through your own version of Bible study. So this morning, I've, I've decided, I said, you know what, we're going to take all five days, we're going to kind of mash it together, and we're going to see what's in store, because it's more than just spinning a spinner, it's more than just beating a clock. This theme right here, this, this board game, retro video game theme, it plays to our memories, it plays to our emotions. Um, Eric stood up here on Friday talking to the kids, and uh, you could hear just a, a little bit of uh, sadness when uh, he pointed to this and talked about the arcade system, uh, and you could tell he never finally beat that last level of Pac-Man. Um, <laughs> the, we all have those, those favorite board games. Um, I personally don't like Candyland because I can't tell my colors apart very well. Um, my family doesn't like that I play Monopoly because I'm the evil banker, and you, pa- you get $200 for pass and go, and I get $100 in my pocket. Um, but this week, we, we got to look past the games. We got to look past uh, the pieces and the, the dice. We got to look past the Uno cards and really take a look at what it meant to have a Savior and to follow him. Life's not always going to be fun and games, but even after becoming a Christian, it's going to be full of twists and turns. It can leave us feeling like we have taken a step forward and maybe two steps back. This was certainly the case for one of Jesus' disciples, Peter. We, we got to hone in for five days at five individual stories that critically changed Peter's life. From the, the moment that the disciples were formed to even moments well after Christ had left earth. And so uh, to kind of guide us and to walk us through this week um, and for us to understand that it's not game over, that God still worked through Peter to help others learn about Jesus. Uh, we kind of focused in on a specific key verse. It was in Psalm chapter 25, verse 4. And it said, Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Um, I took that and I, I broke that down. Um, if I'm not alive tomorrow, it's because my wife has killed me, but I told all the kids at VBS that uh, we, she can't go anywhere without a GPS. Um, for about the first year and a half we were here, um, I mean, like, we literally lived just over here by the zebras and running wild for, like, the first, like, eight months. Um, there was a GPS for Walmart. Like, it was, like, one of the top locations. Um, I'm pretty sure she still used it for the first year she taught. Uh, she didn't fully know her way to work, her way around Rome. Kids don't fully know the gospel until we get to present it to them. But then I sat back and I thought, it's not just kids, it's, it's our world. So what David has written here in Psalms, he's saying, make your ways known to me. We want to get to a point where we're not having to rely on just the, the map, we're not having to rely on a GPS, but we're saying, God, 
make your ways known to me. Teach me your paths. I think of when I was a little boy, it, uh, you know, king of my grandparents' forest. Uh, we had trails, we had paths, we had things that I knew exactly where to go. Uh, I tracked mud through the house, and all of a sudden my grandmother says, Ashton, get back in here, and I'm already on my bike, and I'm about an acre into the woods because I know that path. I know how to get out of trouble real quick. But for this right here in our lives, those twists and those turns we face, we're turning and we're saying, Lord, teach me those paths. When we face those hardships, what is that thing that we can do? Where is that pathway we can go to follow you and continue to seek you? So day one, we, we come across uh, an unexplainable event to these disciples. We've got Jesus preaching to a large crowd. And as he's standing there by the lake, he saw there were two boats on the edge of the water. And the fishermen had left them there while they were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and he asked, he said, uh, he said, put out this water from the land just a little bit. And so I was telling the kids, I was like, we've got this crowd of 100 people coming this way. And Jesus is having to back up and back up and back up. And he is, uh, I'm just imagining effectively me trying to talk to one kid at vacation Bible school, and all of them are coming at me. And so he says, hey, let me go stand in this boat, because he can get away from them just for a split second so they can all see, they can all hear. Upon putting this water and putting the boat back into the water, and he finished up his speaking, he says, "You know what? Let's take this boat out into deeper waters. We're going to go fishing. And we're in the south, and I tell someone to go fishing. Uh, every single one of the boys in there, they're, they're picking up that, that fishing rod. And I'm trying to explain to them, no, we're, we're looking at these heavy nets. And they're like, "Net fishing? What?" But explaining to them that these gentlemen that were out at out of the lake. They were fishing here. They'd gone out earlier in the night. We're quickly approaching the morning, and they've successfully caught nothing. Um, so scripture says they were fishing. Um, more adequately, they were just playing in the water uh, because they caught nothing. And so when Jesus says, let's go back out, we're going to continue to fish, they're like, mm. but they, as they listened and they heard what the teaching was, they said, you know what, we're going to do it. As they let down the nets, when they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and it began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and they filled both boats to the point that they began to sink. The story that we see here, looking in Luke chapter 5, is the foundation of our disciples. Witnesses were, miracles were witnessed, the teachings were heard by the crowds, but this one act of crawling into a boat would change the entire trajectory, not just for Peter's life, but for everyone. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell to Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me. Now, explaining that to the kids, that Jesus got in a boat with Peter and this miracle occurred with catching all this fish and they get back to shore and Peter is literally looking at Jesus to go away from me, every last one of them were appalled. They were like, uh... With the exception of about three third graders who decided anarchy was there, and they said, man, Jesus is taking Peter's thunder for catching all the fish. They could not figure out why is he wanting to chase Peter away. But as the scripture continues to tell us, it says right here, he said, go away because I am a sinful man. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch they had taken in, 
along with James and John and Zebediah's son, who were Simon's partners, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. They brought these boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. This is the the initiation, this is the story, this is where it all begins. From where they had no idea where their life was going to go, their change was going to happen. We looked at a motto all week where we said, following Jesus changes everything. Jesus tells them to drop their nets and follow me. And they did. They didn't do it just because they were bored. They didn't do it because they were going to be seeking fame and glory and money. They did this because they witnessed not only his teaching, they saw the miracle that happened, and they recognized that this right here, the things that have happened, this is a miracle, and if this miracle has occurred, that means this gentleman is holy. He is set apart. Peter recognized that he could not be with that holiness, and that's why he said, Jesus, go away. And Jesus looked at him and said, do not be afraid. He's not letting, he's, he's saying, don't let that sin keep you from my love. Don't let that sin keep you from this life-changing moment that's going to happen. So we, we end day one knowing that Jesus now has these brothers that are with him, these disciples that are there. We know that Jesus is holy and that that changes everything. So our path is set. Where we're, we're making our ways known. Jesus is making the way known to these disciples by saying, follow me. He is the guide for this, and they are following behind it. Day two takes us into Matthew chapter 14, starting around verse 22. We're back at the boats. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, immediately I want you to take these boats and go out into the sea. The disciples, they love Jesus. They said, all right, we're going to do that. Jesus, however, does not get on the boat. He immediately goes up the mountain and starts praying. After the crowds dismissed and they went up to the mountain to pray, well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, this boat that was some distance from the land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them, Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they screamed, it's a ghost, as they cried out in fear. Now, we as the readers, we, we're, we're blessed when we get to read this scripture. These events that happen, these true events that are here, we get to see what the authors have put in here, and they specifically told us that Jesus was approaching on the water. But for the disciples that are out there, they had no idea. They had no clue what was happening. So in a moment where their lives are literally in risk of death, the storm is coming in. This is not a cruise liner. This is not some big yacht. Like, they're out in a wooden boat. Um, I mean, I get fearful sometimes when I'm driving my car around in the rain, and that's protected. But these guys are out in a boat with it sloshing in the wind and the storms, and they see this figure walking toward him. And just as he said on the first day, do not be afraid, Jesus looks to the disciples and he says, do not be afraid again. We have this connection that he has shared with them. But the next thing is really crazy because uh, this figure that they're thinking is a ghost, he immediately says, I am Jesus. He gives them a reason to trust in him. 
He goes, I am Jesus. He doesn't just say, hey, don't be afraid. You know, I'm just coming out here to help you out. He could have. This is the same Jesus that could have just calmed the storm. He could have easily just pushed all of it to the side and been perfectly fine. But he says, I am Jesus. Now, Peter, the guy we're focusing and we're studying on all week long, he's a little doubtful. And he goes, you know what? If you actually are Jesus, because, you know, you could be impersonating him. He says, tell me to call me out on this water and I will walk out there with you. And Jesus says, come. He's already asked. Peter wants to follow him. He's saying, come follow me again. Come out here. So Peter takes his first step. He takes his second step. And this, re- this realization that he is also walking on water, the other disciples see this. They did not have to take that step out into the water because they are now trusting. They are seeing this great miracle. They are seeing this power that is happening. And Peter is experiencing this. And so much like many of us, when the Lord is so heavily working in our hearts, we, he easily got pulled astray. When he looked to the left and to the right, immediately began to sink. But instead of facing death, Jesus was able to reach down, pick him up, and rescue him, and to hold him in. Immediately, Jesus spoke. He said, have courage. Don't be afraid. When Peter said, if it is you, Lord, command me to come out of this water. And he said, come and climbing out of the boat. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and began sinking. And he said, Lord, save me. So Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt me? When they got into the boat, the wind had stopped. And those in the boat worshipped him, and they said, truly, you are the Son of God. Peter's now had two opportunities in his life where miracles have happened, where Jesus has, has been there to guide him and to direct him and to show him. What I would, would do to, to be able to witness what is happening in Peter's life, or even just to have a moment like Peter has had with Jesus, to just be able to have these interactions with Christ. We see that Jesus is trustworthy even when I doubt. That's a, it's a fact that, that Peter says to himself, I don't want to doubt Jesus anymore. So we get to day three. God knows everything that's happening all the time. We know that the hours leading up right before Jesus' arrest to his final breaths on the cross was very excruciating. My mind wants to think that during this time, everything might have stopped. However, even as Jesus was stepping in to be our Redeemer, he was fully aware of the falling away of Peter. Even then, Jesus had plans to redeem and restore this soon-to-be leader of what we now call our church. Looking in John 18 at verses 15 and 18, we see that Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple, and the disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. So that disciple was following the high priest, and so Jesus went with the high priest into the courtyard, and Peter remained outside the door. There was a servant girl who was uh, the doorkeeper, and this right here uh, is the scene that's set up moments after Peter tells Jesus, I'm going to follow you to death. I will follow you to prison. I'm yours. And Jesus looks at Peter and explicitly says, I know that you say that, but you are going to deny me. 
Not once, not twice, but three times before the rooster crows. So Jesus is, is going with the high priest. He's arrested. They're taking him back to, to place charges on him falsely. And Peter is just standing there. And there's this doorkeeper, it's this young girl, and she's sitting next to a charcoal fire. And she says, weren't you one of this man's disciples too? And Peter just very succinctly says, I'm not. Now the servants of the officials, uh, because they were cold standing at this charcoal fire, were warming themselves, and Peter was standing there warming himself as well. This denial then happens two more times before the rooster crows, and the events that took place after that exact moment when, is when everything for everyone in this room changes. Jesus' death and his burial and his conquering of said death, showing his true power and then later revealing himself to the disciples, we read in John chapter 20, starting in verses 30 and 31, we find that Jesus performed many other miracles in the presence of his disciples that weren't explicitly written but the one that takes place in John chapter 21 was. Jesus has now come back. He has showed himself to the disciples, not once, not twice, but on this third time, he appears on the side of a beach. Peter looks to the other disciples and says, I'm going to go fishing. They said, we're coming with you. They went out into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Seems pretty familiar, right? When daybreak came, there was a man standing on shore that we know now as Jesus, but the disciples did not know. The man on the shore says, friends, as Jesus called out, you don't have any fish, do you? They all responded with no. Cast your nets on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. And so they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one that Jesus loved, said to Peter, is that the Lord? It is. When Peter had heard it was the Lord, he literally stripped off his outer clothing and dove into the water. Now, the last time Peter had an opportunity to talk with Jesus, he was being told, you're going to deny me. And it was going to happen three times. And then the Lord has now showed himself to the disciples three times. And now Peter is sprinting back because he recognizes that uh, once where he was a sinful man, where he was afraid to be around the Lord, to where he said, God, I know you are holy and I know you are trustworthy. But he is seeking that forgiveness now. Since they were not far from land, the other disciples brought the boat in and they came in with all these fish. When they got to land, they saw a charcoal fire standing right there. Jesus says, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Peter climbed up the hall. He pulled the fish out. There were about 153 of them. He says, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask who he was because they knew at that moment it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he had raised from the dead. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, he said, do you love me? And Simon says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. So Jesus says, feed my lambs. 
A second time he says, do you love me? Peter says, I know you, I love you. He says, shepherd my sheep. Then he asked a third time, do you love me? He says, you know that I love you. So Jesus says, feed my sheep. Truly, I want to tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. But after saying this, he told him this two words, follow me. So we have the denial of three times, the reappearance of three times, Jesus in the tomb for three days, him calling out by a charcoal fire, saying, I love you three times. Jesus forgiving us on the cross for our sin. The Holy Spirit is stepping into this place when Jesus is stepping out. But he's saying, follow me. Take what I have told you and go. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep. We're in a broken world, a world that is in need of hearing of the gospel. So we start placing a value around the world, around us, and not seeking the Lord. We know that there are going to be tough times. And that trails us into our fourth full day of VBS. And we see, looking in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, we've got Peter and we have John, and they're actively going out and they're teaching. They're doing what Jesus has told them to do, and he's saying, hey, go tell everybody. So they're approaching the temple, and they they look down, and they see there's this man who has uh, the inability to walk. And he's just begging and explaining to the kids that when you can't walk, you, you can't get a job, you can't get a job, you can't eat. This guy is probably hungry, he is starving. Um, he's out there begging, hoping for what little bits and pieces he can get. And he looks at Peter and he looks at John and he says, can you give me some money? And very immediately, Peter looks over at John and they almost have like the, I can feel like from reading the text, they have this like head nod moment, like we know exactly what this guy needs. He needs to hear it now. And it's not just for him, it's for every person in this temple. He goes, we have no silver, we have no gold. But look at us, and he says, what I can give you is in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. A man born with the inability to walk, facing a, what is ultimately a twist and turn that he cannot conquer himself, being told to get up and walk, he's probably laughing at them. I explained that to the kids that when this happened, it was instantaneous. They helped the guy up. When he realized that his legs were now able to do this and he got the strength in him, he didn't just walk away and say, thanks, appreciate it. He started running. He was going through the temple. He was praising. He was singing out. He was saying, look at what has happened. The crowds were swarming around because, uh, I'm sorry, if I saw a miracle, I would probably go check it out myself too. I mean, we as society, we start rubbernecking when we see a car on the side of the road. When a miracle happens, we're getting involved. 
So when he jumped up and started walking and he entered the temple and he was praising God, um, it started making a little bit of a scene. So in Acts chapter 4, while they were speaking to the people, that being uh, Peter and John, the, the religious figures, the leaders of that area, the priests at that time, they confronted them. They were a little bit of annoyed. They were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them, arrested them, put them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. Now, I couldn't go into a lot of depth with the kids on this. This is some time after Jesus has, has ascended into heaven. This is an, an opportunity where the, the comforter we have being that the Holy Spirit is with the disciples. The power of Jesus is with them. They are out continuing to share Jesus' name and miracles like this are occurring. And it's not through their hands, but it's through the Holy Spirit that this is happening. We have folks that are already hearing and slowly understanding who God is. The, the church is really... Uh, forming in a, uh, an aggressive manner, so to say. We're going against the, the normalcy of what's out there, and the government officials are not happy about that. So these two gentlemen were arrested. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes, they all assembled in Jerusalem, and they were gathered together, and they said, by what power or in what name have you done this? And Peter, I can just imagine, he's got this like smug grin on his face because he's like, this is my perfect chance. I've got these men in this room who are doubting me where I get to sit there and just pour out and say, Jesus did this, the Holy Spirit did this, your world's about to get rocked. So Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, but what means he was healed? I want you to let it be known to all of you and the people of Israel that it was in the name of Jesus Christ whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man standing here before you is healthy. He said, this Jesus, the stone rejected by you builders, has become the cornerstone. It's worth following Jesus. It took Peter literally saying, hey, I don't know what's going on, but recognizing the holiness. It took Peter falling into the sea, doubting for him to trust Jesus. It took him denying him three times, him being forgiven, for him to fully understand what his role was as a shepherd to the sheep when Jesus was to leave. And so he says, whatever you do, I don't care what my punishment's going to be. I'm telling you today, this was in the name of Jesus, and you ought to know this. It's about 5,000 guards that day that have heard this message and had a complete turnaround with their life. In Acts chapter 4, at the end of it, in verse 12, it says that there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to the people by which we must be saved. We can look at our lives, and there's something in each of our lives we can pinpoint as our own inability to walk. It can be grief, anxiety, 
anger, frustration, disappointment. We may feel as if we're a failure for our families, unsuccessful with our jobs. We may even just feel like we have failed ourselves. We get so worked up that we stop asking the Lord for help. We bypass them altogether and we feel that, that my issues and my problems and the things I have, um, I'm not even going to bother God with anymore. And we get this mentality of, it's all on my own. When twists and turns happen, I'm going to make my own path and I'm going to figure it out my own way. If I was to go into the same woods I went into when I was a little boy um, and not take the path that had been carved out after hundreds of bike rides, after tons of stomping on thorn bushes, and I tried to go my own way, I'm probably going to get stuck in the mud, probably going to get cut up. I'll come out nastier, dirtier than I've ever been before. And there's going to be future consequences that happen after that. If we continue to let ourselves make our own path instead of following the path that God has shown for us, our lives, in the current state, we may not see it, but as we continue to go down that pathway, it's going to get harder. That anxiety, that grief, that frustration, those failures, they're going to continue to multiply. And until we have the opportunity to say, hey, Jesus, assist me with this, help me with this, because I know that you love me, it's not going to ever change. Peter and John, abiding by the call to look after the sheep, they didn't offer a band-aid with silver and gold. Instead, they said, through the power of Jesus, get up and walk. The testimony that comes from this in a world where he was held back by his brokenness is now celebrating and praising. The story doesn't stop because Peter wanted to not just show, but he wanted to tell everyone why it was worth following Jesus. Let's take a look at Psalm chapter 13. The font on screen is rather small. I'm going to read it to you here. It says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me an answer. Lord my God, restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. As this is written out, these are the questions that we fight with and we struggle with every day. We may not articulate this, but I'm looking at this, and I hone in on the, how long will I store up anxious concerns within me? I don't want to speak on your behalf, but I feel like I can speak for us as a whole. That's our world. How long can we store up these anxious concerns? God can handle every single one of these questions. The Bible shows us he doesn't turn away from hard moments. He actually proves time and time again that he is worth following. Even when it gets tough, we saw in Acts chapter 3 that this man could immediately praise God when he was healed. Instead of crediting Peter and John with the miracle, they were able to credit the Lord. Peter and John stood boldly before the Jewish leaders 
They would speak those words that God gave them. But Psalm 13 doesn't just stop with those questions. In verses 5 and 6, it says, But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart rejoices in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Jesus is worth following because he has the power to heal. Jesus is worth following because he gives us the words we need when we need them. Jesus is worth following because he died to save us. Our VBS week is Monday progressed to Friday. Different camps started happening. A few kids got a little sick. So our numbers were coming down, but the Holy Spirit was stepping up. Our last day, we set our roots for what it looks like to do more than just be hearers of the word. We continue to pray on how we can serve, on how to have a relationship with God. And we look at a, a story of, uh, in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and Peter, and we know that Cornelius is someone who has prayed to God and is, is giving generously. And we have Peter who is at his hunger ends trying to glorify God. And both of them have their own separate visions and... With this, God reaches out to Cornelius and says, hey, go to Joppa. I need you to get Peter. When Peter is here, he has a vision, and it's um, a little obscure for kids to get. Uh, He pictures a a giant uh, sheet falling from the sky, and it's full of animals because he is so hungry. And there's there's all these different animals, and uh, it's like there's reptiles, and there's... uh, uh, birds, and they're just like, oh, that's gross. And I remind I was like, chicken nuggets come from chickens, and uh, hamburgers come from cows. Um, and then I, I remind them that uh, one of the main protein sources in Peru is guinea pig, and then they get real sick. Uh, so <laughs> with this right here, Peter says, I can't kill and eat these animals, God. Like, these are unclean. And immediately says, do not call something unclean that I have called clean. Now, this was, a, this was a vision that occurred to him because it wasn't intended for the animals. We weren't stuck by the, the 500 plus old Jewish laws. We weren't held down by, by what was an old covenant. We were given a new covenant when Christ died on the cross. And so we get this opportunity now to say Jesus first, everything else from the past comes next. That, 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 was, that was no longer a priority. So we get to this, this moment where Cornelius is sent for Peter, and Peter and Cornelius are coming in, and we now have this uh, like big debate. It's like Hatfields, McCoy. It's like uh, Alabama, Georgia. Like We can't be in the same room together. And Cornelius is a little concerned, and Peter goes, look, hey, to let you know I had this vision. Um, God said we can intermingle now. So both the Jews and the non-Jews, we can come together. God shares with Peter that a world that was once unclean is now clean and shall be treated and taught as so because Jesus was for everyone. Church, we've gone through twists and turns. I'm glad you're here. Now it is our time to spin the spinner. This is our starting point. We're the little candy land, gingerbread people. We're here. This is where we start. Within these walls, within this opportunity, within hearing God's word, this is our starting point. These are the rules. These are where we get our instructions. But uh, just like with any other family, with any other board game, get with some house rules. 
Everyone good with that? Um, unfortunately, there's not free parking out there, so you don't get the money in the pot. All right, that's the offering. So that's going to be counted and given up to the ministry. But our house rules we're going to share today, um, rule number one. Just because we sin does not mean we should be afraid of Jesus. We should embrace in him. Our sin should not make us afraid of Jesus. As we saw with day one, Peter said, go away, and immediately Jesus crushed that. He said, no, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. You're going to come follow me. Some pretty big words. We tell the kids that anything that we think and we say and we do that does not please God is sin. And Jesus says, I recognize your sin, and we will handle that. But you've got to follow me. So our first house rule is our sin should not make us afraid of Jesus. So when we think that we're, we're weighed down with our sin, Jesus has already conquered that for us. So our first house rule, we got, we got to not be afraid of our sin. We got to be able to, to say, I'm sorry, Lord, you died on the cross for that. Now let me follow you. Rule number two, God's timing is perfect and not our timing. When Jesus sent the disciples out, he said, do so immediately. And immediately when they went out there, the storm starts, and he's up on the mountain, and he's praying. And immediately when Peter lost his focus, Jesus was there to pick him up. So it's very easy for us to think that, man, maybe God should answer all of my prayers immediately. And we get caught up in this mentality of, well, if God didn't answer it immediately, then it probably wasn't meant to be so. But we must immediately remember that God's timing is perfect. Which takes us to rule number three. We have been rescued, restored, and redeemed. There comes a point when playing your board games that you feel like you run out of money on Monopoly, or you aren't getting the right rolls when you're playing, you're not pulling the right cards, and you feel like, all right, this game's done, it's over. In our life, when we hit that point, we have to remind ourselves it's not a game over. We've been rescued, we've been restored, we've been redeemed. We have to remember that we can put ourselves in the position of Peter. When Jesus looks at us, if he said, do you love me? Do we have that ability to say, yes, Lord, I know you and I love you? It's been given to us. It was given to us when he died on the cross. It's just a matter of us being able to, to say those words. Rule number four, we read this earlier, but I want to read it again. Rule number four is Acts 4. See how it kind of worked together? The salvation is no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to the people by which we must be saved. We can't be afraid of our sin. We know that God's timing is perfect. We have to be ready to tell the Lord that we love him because we are rescued, redeemed, and restored. And we have to be ready to say that it is because of the name of Jesus takes us to rule number five. It's your turn, and when you play, you win. Some of you might be sitting here right now, and you're thinking, I'm not even the little peg piece ready to start. I wasn't invited to this game. I don't know the rules to this game. I don't know where it's at. And if you're one of those people, and you feel like the other four rules don't apply to you, fun fact, it's your turn. It's your turn to roll the dice. It's your turn to spin the spinner, because God is calling you. It's your opportunity to step up and play. Because when we play the game and we follow the path that God has made for us, we win. 
Fun fact, we've already won. We won when sin was conquered. We just have to accept that victory. Following Jesus changes everything. It changed in the life for Peter. It changed in the life of the disciples, the man in the temple, the large crowds, the guards that were there, the Jews and the unjews just alike. Christ died on the cross as a sacrifice. Psalm 25, 4, make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Our path is no longer weighed down by sin. Our path is Jesus because he is holy, he is trustworthy, he is forgiving, he's worth following, he is for everyone. We might find ourselves in a position that we feel like Peter. You can be in one of, one of three places in Peter's life. You might feel like you're in the spot that you don't fully know and trust in the Lord and he's calling you out on the water. It's your opportunity to go and to step. Maybe you have that relationship. You've said, yes, Lord, I love you, I know you, but you don't know what the next step is to go to tell others. Maybe you feel like you know where to go, you know what to say, you know that you love the Lord, but you're asking, what else can be done? Peter lived a remarkable life. He was literally just a leather tanner for the longest time, a fisherman by, by necessity to get food. But those aren't the things that we remember about him. We don't remember Peter as a fisherman. We don't remember him working as a tanner. We, we know that Peter was a disciple. He was a follower of Christ. And it all started because Jesus said, follow me. Follow me.